This is the John Oakley Show podcast. You know, we've been talking a lot about the uh, two individuals that are on the lam and uh, just having spoken last hour to the mayor of Kapiskasing, where there was a report cited earlier yesterday morning that brought the OPP into the equation, whether or not uh, they would have made it that far from Gila, Manitoba, where they, they were last credibly seen, but over a week ago, that's 2,300 clicks away. It uh, does lead one to wonder how resourceful these two individuals are, and if, in fact, uh, they're still alive and out in the woods... What are we to make of that? Uh, It's a harrowing prospect for them, certainly, or for anybody, unless you're really skilled in that set as a survivalist. Let's find out what that would all entail. Uh, Dave McDonald is the founder and lead instructor at the International Canadian School of Survival, and he's joined the Oakley Show this afternoon. Mr. McDonald, good to have you on board. Good afternoon. Thank you for having me on the show. Good afternoon. Yeah, so tell me, I mean, uh, what are the prospects that these guys may still be alive? Uh, it's very likely. Um, really depends on the individual and their will to survive. Of course, training, knowledge, uh, experience are going to be a great asset. But uh, And there's two of them, so they can kind of look after each other, I guess. Um, I mean, that can be a good thing and it can be a bad thing being two people out there. If you can't stand each other or you have arguments, then that can be a, a difficult set of skill sets. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, they can find lots of water. Um they may not be able to purify it, or they may have uh, some way of purifying it. They can use UV rays. They can boil it. Uh, they can uh, filter it through a T-shirt. Uh, lots of different things they can do with uh, to get the water anyways, and there's lots of it there. They would need a container to carry it, of course, um, any length of time or for any distances anyway. Well, all right, and there had been reports, including from, I guess, one of the individuals, Mr. Schmigelski, uh, that his son had some survivalist background. I don't know if, if that's credible. What have you heard? Uh, I don't know if it's credible, neither. Uh, I don't know. I've heard, heard the same things you have. Um, you know, any sort of outdoor experience is going to be an asset. Um, and if they were in the bush a lot as uh, kids growing up and up to this point, um, and they're in there a lot, then they've learned a lot of lessons and they would have a lot of experiences. Um, so anything's possible for sure. But they're on the run. They're being hunted. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's been, what, almost two weeks now. What do you think their mindset is? Uh, it depends. If they're in the bush, uh, the bugs could be really getting to them right now. Uh, temperatures, I think it went down to four degrees here uh, not last night, night before. So you'd be getting hot and sweaty during the day, you know, up in the high uh, 20s. And then uh, at night, the temperature's going to drop. And if you're wet and you can't have a fire because you're trying to uh, hide, uh, that can uh, really lead to hypothermia different stages of hypothermia. Would they be at risk of being attacked by wild animals? Uh, possibly if one of them is injured and bleeding, or uh, maybe they're leaving food products all over the place, or maybe they're um, defecating close to the campsite. That can attract wild animals as well. And the fact that they're trying to hide, again, the animals are going to come in even closer because they won't know they're there until they smell them, uh, for the most part. So that could bring on an attack, possibly. Or uh, maybe they're not cleaning their hands and their clothing and they're catching fish or, uh, you know, butchering uh, grouse uh, that they've captured and uh, leaving the remnants here and there and not disposing of it properly. That could definitely bring in uh, wildlife. You talk about fish. Uh, what would be their primary source of food? Would it be fish, berries, that kind of thing? I would think uh, fish and berries this time of the year, yeah, for sure. Um, probably lots of grouse, too, young grouse you know, at the first year, so they're not... Uh, that quick. Uh, they just fly up in the branch just above your head so you can hit them with a stick or a rock or whatever. 
how would they catch the fish? Uh, just line and uh, bait if they can find it. You know, you flip over logs, tear apart, uh, flip over rocks, tear apart logs, find grubs, insects, uh, put them on the hook, toss them out there, and uh, the fishing's pretty good up in that area, so... All right, again, uh, we're with Dave McDonald, uh, the founder and lead instructor at the International Canadian School of Survival, on the premise that these guys might still be alive. Uh, it's two weeks in now. I'm guessing their nerves would be somewhat frayed at this point, wouldn't they? How about, uh, you know, metal strength? Uh, would that deteriorate over time? Well, if they're getting dehydrated and their low calorie intake, daily daily calorie intake is getting low, then they're going to be losing energy, and uh, those two factors play major uh uh, mind games with you. Um, so, yes, it could definitely be hurting, uh, especially with the bugs as well and the heat, uh, cold nights. They could be in real sad shape uh, psychologically for sure. At a minimum. Physically as well, yeah. Yeah, I was going to ask at a minimum, uh, how many calories would they need on a daily basis to survive right now? If they're moving, um, I'd say four to 6,000 calories a day, easy. Um and then uh, they'd probably need that again in water per day quite easily. Yeah, well, that... that to stay hydrated, yeah. Isn't that like uh, basically three squares a day? Yeah, that would be three good squares a day, yes, sir. <laughs> yeah. Right. You'd have to be feeding the whole time you were moving and while you were held up in places during the day. Yeah, and then uh, shelter at night as well. Uh, you know, in the area uh, they, around... They would probably be traveling at night, I would think, if they're trying to hide, possibly. Right. You know? Yeah. Uh, you know, this is why it defies credulity that they're still alive somewhere out there. If they're not, uh, the prospects of finding them might be pretty slim, too, wouldn't it? Yes, it would be very difficult. If they don't want to be found out there, it would be very difficult. Uh, I've done many a search uh, up in that kind of boreal forest area, and if you don't have a cooperative target, it's very difficult to see even small aircraft or boats uh, along that area. Yeah, and search dogs, I mean, unless you know specifically the region, that's pretty hard too, isn't it? Yeah, the search dogs are usually used for the fine-tuning, like they can search general areas and uh, lines of communication, like hydro lines and railroad lines and stuff like that. But uh, basically you're going to get the last known position, and then you're going to put the dog on them. Right. And, uh, and they'll track them down. Right, and infrared technology, radar imaging, that only works if the body is warm. Yeah, and if you have the weather that you can use that kind of thing, right? I mean... A lot of days you wouldn't be able to use it just because the cloud cover is too low and it's too dangerous for planes or even to fly the drones, right? Yeah, you know, uh, situations. we had talked last hour to the mayor of Kapiskasing because there had been a report called in yesterday to the OPP that maybe they were seen in that community 2,300 kilometers away from Gillum. Uh, and now some people are even projecting because of time lost with the distraction of going to York Landing and uh, not having found them. Uh, maybe somebody inadvertently gave them a lift. They found them their way to a major highway and they're, they could be coming to an urban center. Who knows? And, uh, you know, I mean, it's wild speculation. But even if it were to uh, be, say, Toronto, could they get lost in an urban environment? Well, sometimes, uh, you know, uh, if you get into the herd, it's protection, right? Numbers are protection sometimes. But then again, there's pros and cons to both sides of it. So they still need to find those basic things to live, even in the city. They need to find fresh water. They need to find shelter. They need to find medical supplies or assistance. Um, They need to find food. You still need to find all those things, so... Um, but sometimes uh, safety is in numbers, so it could work to their favor. It might not. Who, who's to say? Are they um, better off together or apart? Uh, in the bush, they're better off together. 
for sure. Uh, other than in the urban areas, uh, it depends, I guess. Right. And so uh, when you're together that way in the in the bush, I mean, you know, we talk about the relationship, the dynamic between the two. If uh, one doesn't share the same mental toughness as the other, uh, he may want to capitulate uh, or whatever. I mean, is that something that you have to be aware of, you know, how your partner might respond to the adversity? Oh, definitely. Definitely. Because you can never tell how they're going to respond either until you're in that uh, situation. I've seen people get off in the Air Force, they get off the bus, and I think they're going to fail miserably, and they just turn into a tiger. Um, And then you see the tiger get off the bus, and you think uh, they're going to do a great job, and they turn into uh, a sheep, a lamb. Yeah, it's kind of the fight-or-flight reflex, I guess. Yes, and it's different for people you can't tell. Um, And again, it's up to the situation and uh, whether or not they're hydrated and they have enough calories coming in. Yeah, and a major uh, difference. you know the old adage about fatigue makes cowards of us all as they get tired, if in fact this is the case that they're still alive and it's two weeks in, uh, you would think the resolve might start to maybe whittle down, right? Yeah, sometimes you get the, the grumblies, right, when you get hungry, and that can cause uh, issues, fights, and the waste of energy, and <laughs> um, that in that matter as well, so... As a seasoned pro, I mean, just think uh, in your own circumstance, if you were out there, I mean, I'm guessing you could probably make a go of it for two weeks at a time, but uh, you you would probably suggest that uh, it's not anything that uh, you would want to prolong. Uh, how would you find yourself at this point in time if you were out there on your own? If I was, <laughs> if I was out there on my own. Um, I've done many uh, backcountry canoe trips in various uh, areas like that. Um, and I love it. I love the wilderness and how beautiful it is and rugged. And I can't wait to get out there again. Yeah, but you're not on the run and being exactly. searched for. That's a whole different game altogether. Trying to evade, um, you're hurting all the time, basically. Yeah, um, you can't start a fire, can you? No, you shouldn't. You can. You can do a Dakota fire hole or something along those lines or get down into the deep crevices of the rocks where the, the light isn't going to be seen. And you do it during the day so nobody can see it. But other than but that's a small fire for cooking or maybe heating yourself up for a couple of minutes, right? Would you travel along a riverbed, uh, you know, in the event that somebody is tracking you, like uh, dogs or something like that, to um, lose the smell? Uh, it doesn't really matter with the dogs. <laughs> oh, it doesn't, eh? No. <laughs> oh. Okay, I guess maybe I, I didn't learn anything from watching Cool Hand Luke. <laughs> no, the dogs are really good. They know their job. They're hyper-focused. They just love the game. Yeah, the dogs are spot on. If you're a betting man, what would you say the prospects of them still being alive is? Um, the possibility is there, so I don't know. Um, given everything I know so far, I'd say they probably got a 90% chance of still being alive. 90? Wow, that's yeah. high. Yeah. Whoa, even two weeks in. Yeah, well, I hate to underestimate, you know what I mean? Like... I don't underestimate my opponents. I try not to underestimate people in survival situations. Well, are, are you surprised then with all the resources dedicated to uh, finding them around Gillum? I know it's a pretty big stretch of land, but uh, that they haven't been found? No, not at all. No. Again, uh, if it was a cooperative target, it could be a whole different story. But if they're trying to evade uh, in that boreal forest context with lack of uh, access to the area, other than by sometimes boat or aviation then no, it wouldn't be hard um, to evade in there, for sure. 
All right. Well, but, I mean, you're only going to last for a certain amount of time. I mean, as soon as winter starts to set in, you're going to be done. You're going to have to either get yourself out of there or um, signal for help. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, winter starts setting in in September up in those parts, doesn't it? Yes, it does. Yeah. Sometimes uh, you get the freeze ups a little bit, plus the water's getting really cold. Nights are getting colder, so it can catch up to you real quick if you don't have enough calories, especially. Yeah. Uh, well, and especially if you don't have all of the other things to replenish, like clothing and uh, what have you. I mean, yes, there's lots of cabins up and around the waterways up there, so they could, you know, possibly find some of those resources. Really? Yeah. Maybe that's it. The prospect of having broken into a cabin and replenishing your supplies and, uh, you know, having resources, maybe that sustains them. I think there was a guy in BC that was evading for quite a long time, and he was sustaining himself um, through wild stuff, wild edibles and that, and he was uh, doing breaking entries, I think, on cottages and cabins and stuff. Yeah, I would think, well. though. He was there for quite a while, quite a few months they were looking for him, I think. Yeah. Well, I'm guessing the RCMP have been thorough in that regard, you know, anything that uh, mm-hmm. represents a, a, yes. a cabin or, uh, you know, an old prospector's hut or something like that has been checked out. Yeah, they know what they're doing. They would have checked all those uh, areas, too. And um, whoever owns those cabins and huts and stuff, when they go in there, if they see anything disturbed, they're going to report it right away as well. So We watch with fascination. I mean, this is an interesting one until it's resolved to a conclusion, and uh, we know definitively that they've uh, been found dead or alive. Uh, everybody's still speculating. I appreciate your weighing in, though, giving us your expert uh, insight into uh, what might actually be taking place in a prospect that they're alive. Thanks, Dave. I appreciate it. Take care. You got it. Dave McDonald again is the founder and lead instructor at the International Canadian School of Survival. Thanks for listening to the John Oakley Show podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe for free at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere else you get your on-demand audio. For most of us, crime is something we see on the news. We never think it could happen to us until it does. Loved ones are gone, and for the survivors, the scars will never heal. I'm Nancy Hickst, a senior crime reporter for Global News. And on this season of Crime Beat, I'll take you inside some of the most serious crime stories I've covered. Season 6 of Crime Beat is available now on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, and all podcast platforms.